You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A nation-state threat actor targets industrial systems, a quick look at the GRU's earlier attempt against Ukraine's power grid, the difficulty of recovering from a credible threat to industrial systems, Lazarus Group resumes Operation Dream Job, Old Gremlin speaks Russian and it holds Russian companies for ransom, Carol Terrio looks at research on lie detection, Josh Ray from Accenture drops some S-bombs, and another look at the privateers in the Conti gang. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Late yesterday, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced that with its partners in the Department of Energy, the National Security Agency, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, CISA had issued a joint cybersecurity advisory. It warns that certain advanced persistent threat actors have exhibited the capability to gain full system access to multiple industrial control system supervisory control and data acquisition devices using custom-made tools. The advisory recommends familiar best practices for protecting ICS and SCADA systems and explains the threat actors' tools as follows. The APT actors have developed custom-made tools for targeting ICS and SCADA devices. The tools enable them to scan for, compromise, and control affected devices once they have established initial access to the operational technology network. Additionally, the actors can compromise Windows-based engineering workstations, which may be present in information technology or OT environments, using an exploit that compromises an ASROC motherboard driver with known vulnerabilities. By compromising and maintaining full system access to ICS SCADA devices, APT actors could elevate privileges, move laterally within an OT environment, and disrupt critical devices or functions. The immediate actions CISA recommends are to implement multi-factor authentication, change system passwords, especially any default passwords, and use a properly installed continuous OT monitoring solution to log and alert on malicious indicators and behaviors. 
The Washington Post reports expert consensus that the energy sector, especially liquefied natural gas facilities, are probably the tool's most likely targets. Dragos calls the activity group Chernovite the malware pipe dream, while CISA's advisory called out specific products and merely suggested that others might be vulnerable, Dragos is explicit in its assessment that other systems are at risk. They said, The tooling may be used to target and attack controllers from hundreds of additional vendors. Pipe Dream can target a variety of PLCs in multiple verticals due to its versatility. That versatility has been observed elsewhere, Wired quotes sources at Dragos to the effect that Pipe Dream is like a Swiss Army knife with a huge number of pieces to it. It's equally capable of collection, compromise, disruption, and destruction of industrial systems. Two of the points Dragos makes illustrate the versatility. They say, Chernovite can manipulate the speed and torque of Omron servo motors used in many industrial applications and whose manipulation could cause disruption or destruction of industrial processes leading to potential loss-of-life scenarios. Pipe Dream's Windows-related components facilitate host reconnaissance, command and control, lateral tool transfer, and the deployment of unsigned rootkits. The warnings about this threat to control systems are forward-looking as the tools don't appear to have been used yet. Researchers at Mandiant have a different nomenclature. They call the toolkit InController, which emphasizes its ability to seize control of industrial processes. Their report describes three scenarios in which InController might be used. First, disruption of controllers to shut down industrial processes. Second, reprogramming controllers for the purpose of sabotage. And third, perhaps most alarmingly, shutting down safety systems to cause physical destruction. Like others, Mandiant believes the tools were prepared by a nation-state for its own use. That nation-state is, they think, probably Russia. Their evidence is circumstantial, their reasoning suggestive but compelling. The tools required resources and expertise to develop and don't have an obvious payoff, and there are similarities in style to earlier Russian efforts. And, of course, Russia is presently engaged in a large-scale hybrid war. Nozomi Networks has commented on Sandworm's attempt to disable portions of Ukraine's power grid. The company's advice is familiar but worth attending to, recommending as it does implementation of sound practices and good cyber hygiene. Chris Grove, Nozomi's director of cybersecurity strategy, sees continuity between this attack and earlier, more successful takedowns of portions of the Ukrainian grid. He says... The nature of this attack is one that everyone in the international critical infrastructure community should note, as it's one of a handful of attacks that has directly hit OT systems. He strongly recommends keeping an eye out for more Russian activity against power grids. An apparently and probably unrelated cyber attack against an industrial concern shows the difficulty such an organization can have returning to normal operations. The Nordex Group, a major wind turbine manufacturer that sustained a cyber incident on March 31st, continues its recovery some two weeks later. Only Nordex internal systems are believed to have been affected. North Korea's Lazarus Group has resurfaced with an industrial espionage campaign directed against the chemical sector. Symantec researchers this morning outlined their findings, 
which conclude that Pyongyang is running a continued version of Operation Dream Job. First observed in August 2020, Operation Dream Job, as its name suggests, is a social engineering campaign that uses bogus job offers as the fishbait to lure the unwary quarry to bite on a malicious attachment that installs an information-stealing payload on the victim's devices. The operation's goal is believed to be theft of intellectual property for the benefit of the DPRK's chemical industry. Group IB reports that an unusual ransomware gang, Old Gremlin, has resumed attacks against Russian targets. Old Gremlin is an outlier in several ways. For one thing, it's careful and selective, watching the news closely as it shapes its fishbait. The fishbait proffered in this latest round of attacks details the coming suspension of Visa and MasterCard payment processing in Russia. The payload, located in a dropbox, was the tiny fluff backdoor. Old Gremlin's episodic activity may indicate that its members are part-timers working a side hustle. But the most unusual thing about Old Gremlin is that it's a Russophone gang targeting Russian organizations. Most Russian ransomware gangs operate effectively as privateers and scrupulously avoid hitting Russian enterprises. Its most recent campaign, run last month, impersonated a senior accountant at a large Russian financial institution. And finally, while attention has shifted to Russian intelligence and security services cyber operations during Mr. Putin's hybrid war, the privateers, like Conti, are still with us. CNBC has joined those who've sifted through the internal chatter taken from the gang and dumped online. Conti's operations look a lot like those of a legitimate business. The messages show that Conti operates much like a regular company, with salaried workers, bonuses, performance reviews, and even employees of the month. Employee of the month is a particularly nice and caring touch, and note to self, why don't we have those around here? There's one big difference between the gang and a legitimate business. A lot of Conti's associates are unaware that they're working for a criminal enterprise. Lots of them, CNBC says, think they're working for an advertising company. We'd love to see the rate card they were given. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Anyone with a security clearance or anyone who's watched old police procedurals are familiar with the notion of the polygraph machine, the old lie detector. Well, whether or not those are actually good at detecting lies is certainly questionable and up for debate, but the technology of lie detection has advanced. Our own Carol Terrio has this report on the latest. Today I want to talk about lie detectors, something that I rarely think about, but I guess that's probably true for most of us, unless, of course, we're faced with having to pass one. So a little history, because it's actually quite interesting. The polygraph, known as the lie detector test, is a medical device for recording a patient's vital signs, things like pulse or blood pressure or temperature or breathing rate. It seems the first polygraph machine was invented in 1921, so 100 years ago in Berkeley, California. Apparently, at the time, Berkeley had a very famous police chief called August Vollmer, and he was in charge of police reform, and he wanted to use the science to make the cops more law-abiding themselves. You see, until that point, if you were giving a suspect a third degree, it often meant beating them up. But lie detectors have had a very complicated history, and with good reason. Even as near as 2003, Gary Ridgway admitted that he was the Green River Killer, having murdered 49 women in the Seattle area. Ridgway had passed a lie detector test in 1987, while another man, who turned out to be innocent, failed. And the American Psychological Association stated that most psychologists agree that there is little evidence that polygraph tests can accurately detect lies. So, you know, controversial. But none of this has dampened our desire to have a tool that helps us know whether someone's telling the truth or not. I mean, if we could find it, amazing. And the question is, is technology to the rescue? Professor Hanine and Professor Dino Levy have led a team at Israel's Tel Aviv University that have developed a new method of lie detection. They say they have identified two types of liars. Now get this. There are those that involuntarily move their eyebrows when they tell a fib. And there are those that cannot control a very slight lip movement where their lips meet their cheeks. Presumably, this has to be virtually invisible to the human eye. Otherwise, why would we need electrodes strapped to the user's face in order to detect these micro-movements? Spokesperson says, when you try to conceal a lie, one of the things you try to avoid of any sort is a body reaction. But it's very, very hard for you to conceal a lie with this technology. 
And they say their software and algorithm can now detect 73% of lies, and they intend to improve that as they develop the system. Well, thank heavens. I mean, a lie detector that works 73% of the time, to me, is near useless. It means if it's used in a setting for someone to be employed or someone who's going to go to jail, you don't want something that's 73% accurate. That is just way, way too high a false positive rate. But I suspect we are going to be working on this for a while. After all, the first documented example comes from 1000 BC in China, where a suspect would have to fill his or her mouth with dry rice. If it stayed dry, they were lying. At least we're not doing that anymore. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Josh Ray. He's Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead at Accenture Security. Josh, it's always great to have you back. Thanks for having me, Dave. You know, uh, seeing a lot of uh, chatter about uh, SBOM, which is the Software Bill of Materials, and uh, some of the uh, mandates that are coming down the pike when it comes to that sort of thing, I wanted to check in with you, uh, your take on this. Uh, a good idea? You know, something that uh, it's it's time has come? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, we put labels and ingredients on things that we eat. You know, they're on the sides of our, our, our medicines and just the simple fact that, you know, we don't know everything that's in the, in the software that um, we're linking up. I mean, I equate it to, you know, Bob, the IT guy is, you know, getting ready to install the recent update and his buddy Bill's like, Hey, you know, what's in this update? And he's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like that's just a, that this should never happen. Right. You know, right. Just hook it up to the life support system so we can go to lunch. You know I mean? That's just not like um, something that we should necessarily tolerate uh, going forward. And I, and I think the, the most recent executive order um, from a policy standpoint, and then obviously, it, you know, seeing this play out with log4j only reinforces the necessity because this is, this is far overdue and something that our clients are, um, are very interested in as well. What about uh, folks who say that this, you know, this is an added burden on folks, a regulatory burden, and, and may even provide a, a bit of a roadmap for bad guys? Yeah, I mean, that's, the, you know, that's always the other side of the coin. But, you know, that's also like saying security through obscurity too, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, being transparent and allowing defenders the opportunity to understand what is in their code and what is what they're deploying on their enterprises and, and how they're making smart purchase decisions from vendors only makes sense, right? 
this you know natural move towards transparency will hopefully give both the government and other customers you know more of a chance to proactively mitigate vulnerabilities before they're uh, before they're ex- exploited. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. That's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Falecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.